0: Hello and welcome to Wise Wink with Sherwood's podcast series where we discuss themes and topics within English law. Today we're joined by the education team who talks about how to change and consult on your admissions arrangements. So without further ado over to the education team.
1: Um, I'd first of all like to start by uh, saying how humbled we all are to have you join us for today's session. Um, we know that now is a, a really difficult time for schools um, operationally. And um, we know that for those working in and with schools, um, you know, there's there's some really difficult challenges out there. Um, and so I feel really privileged to have your, your company this morning. So thank you very much for that. Um, I'd also like to take the opportunity to welcome you to the Education Teams webinar program. Um, Many of you who um, have joined us this morning uh, will be very familiar with our offices. Um, You'll know that we have a a seminar programme that we try to run um, every year on various topics. Many of you will have come to our offices and maybe um, had a a mooch around Borough Market as well. So uh, we hope that it won't be too long before we can welcome you back and share a cup of tea or coffee with you again um, uh, in Pickford's. Um, at Minerva House. Um, But in the meantime, um, we are really uh, grateful to be able to to talk to you at least um, using technology. Um, And it also seems that perhaps um, the webinars um, will enable us to to reach out to to some of the schools and um, other organisations who might struggle to come into London, maybe depending where you are in the country. Um, And so um, in that sense, you're you're very, very welcome um, if perhaps this is the first time that you've joined us for one of our events um just a, a few introductions really um who we are um so for those of you who don't know my name is theresa kerr i'm a partner in the education team at link west sherwood i head up the school support team and we advise schools on a range of issues um anything from parent complaints exclusions admissions gdpr uh, governance property employment um and sadly since you know really the question started coming in in february and certainly from march um lots of issues relating to um 19 and the pandemic um i'm delighted to be joined by um tracy eldridge himmers um, who's a senior associate in our team um she joined us in may um, and had a fully remote lockdown uh, sorry a remote induction um because we were in lockdown Um, Tracy comes with a wealth of experience working with schools um, and we're delighted to have her on board, so um, thanks very much Tracy for for, um, presenting today. Um, I'm also going to shamelessly bill this as an international broadcast um, because I'm also joined by Stephanie Hughes, um, an associate solicitor in our education team who's um, joining us from Cardiff. Um, So, um, hi Stephanie and welcome. (laughs) And um, many of you will have spoken to Stephanie, um, she's on our school support team as well, and deals with a range of issues um, along the lines of what I've already discussed. Um, So we're all going to be talking to you um, uh, throughout this um, hour long session on admissions. Um, Before I just give you a very brief overview, um, just some housekeeping. Um, If you have any questions uh, throughout, then there should be a a chat function, um, a Q&A function that that is available to you. Um, So please feel free to submit questions throughout um, and we'll do our best to look at those and answer them at the end if there's time. Um, If we find that we run out of time and we can't uh, address the questions properly, then we will um, do our best to come back to you, either individually, if you've maybe got a more specific question, um, but if there's particular themes emerging, then we may well circulate um, some uh, Q&As or FAQs to to everyone who signed up afterwards, so that you will get the benefit of seeing the the sorts of things that other people have asked um, that might be beneficial for you as well. Um, we will be recording this session um, and so it's going to be available to you afterwards and you're very welcome to share it with your colleagues if you think it will be beneficial to them. Um, and if you have any technical questions, please send a message to the host and she will be delighted to help you. Um, <clears throat> so you'll see from um, this session, um, in terms of what we're going to cover, it, it basically reflects what was in the invitation. We're trying to give you um, an overview of the consultation process, obviously in the knowledge that the window is due to open on the 1st of October, as it does every year. Um, we did um, um and about whether to put on this session um, this morning on admissions. Um, we're, as I mentioned earlier, acutely aware that there's lots of other big issues affecting schools at the moment. Um, but having said that, Um, life doesn't stand still in terms of all the other compliance and regulatory issues that schools are having to deal with Um, and so you might well find that you're maybe sitting listening to this session and nodding your head um, and hopefully this is providing that reassurance um, that you're on the right lines in terms of the approach that you take in terms of your admissions Um, It might well be that you come away with a few things that maybe you hadn't thought of or, um, you know, some of the pitfalls that we're going to talk about areas to avoid um, common risks and themes that we see. So we hope that you'll find it quite practical from that point of view too. Um, so without further ado, um, I'm going to just um, launch into uh, providing you with just a bit of context and background about admissions law. Um, so um, this slide just basically sets out uh, the sources of admissions law um, we've got the School Standards and Framework Act um, the School Admissions, Admissions Arrangements and Coordination of Admissions Arrangements England Regulations 2012. Um, it's really important to be aware that although many schools will be familiar with the admissions code, which is the next item on there um that um, doesn't sit on its own. And um, there's also the regulations as well that um, set out various um, procedures and, and points that schools need to be aware of when they are uh, dealing with admissions arrangements. Um, and you may well find that in some circumstances, if you're dealing with a particular issue about admissions, you may well find that even if the code maybe doesn't have the specific answer for you, sometimes the answer might well be found in the regulations themselves, um, particularly with technical points. Um, a similar point ar- arises in relation to exclusions, in the sense that you've got your exclusions guidance, which is statutory, but also the, the regulations, which are um you know just as important and also can answer some of the technical questions sometimes. Um, but obviously if if um, you'd rather not be trawling through the regulations yourself we're here to help you if you have any particular issues um there's also the school admissions infant class sizes regulations so um those are relevant to primary schools infant schools um, and um, again important if you're you know uh, one of those types of schools um, as you need to comply with them um if your school is an academy um The the legislation that I've just read out doesn't apply to you directly, um, but actually you effectively contract into them um, under the terms of the funding agreement that you sign up to at the point of conversion. Um, So um, they still apply if you're an academy, but it's through a slightly different route. Um, So when we talk about admissions, what, what do we mean? What are admissions arrangements? Um, we can sometimes find that there's um, a a misconception that um, admissions arrangements are just your admissions policy. um, And um, that's all that uh, applies. Um, And actually, admissions arrangements is uh, a little broader than that. So it's basically um, any part of your admissions which um, will tell people how they can get into your school. Um, And so if you're a school that uses a supplementary information form, um, or if you're a school that has a a map, um, which um, is um, maybe tells people whether they're part of your catchment area or not. um, those are all parts of your admissions arrangements. And therefore, if you're undertaking consultation, um, which Tracy will, will talk about in more detail later on, all of these documents need to form part of that consultation. Um, it's also important to just make sure that you are familiar with every part of um your admissions which might tell people how they might get into your school um and i'm thinking in particular um in terms of faith schools um because um i've seen examples where in, in some cases a, a priest has maybe drafted his own guidance for what he would determine to be appropriate levels of worship before he will sign um, a form to say that there's been um, a sufficient amount of, of attendance at, at church. Um, and actually that pre-sown uh, interpretation might not be compliant um, with maybe uh, general national guidance or diocesan guidance. Um, and so if you're a, a faith school, you'll just want to make sure that maybe you've got haven't got a parish priest next door who, um, you, know, with, you know, no malintention, but has perhaps uh, developed his own guidance and um, is, is perhaps, perhaps not being consistent with the approach being taken by the diocese or your national body. Uh, so, so just watch out for that sort of thing as well. Um, there's a statutory timetable in the code for undertaking consultations, um, which again, Tracy will come on to more detail later on. Um, And admissions are determined 18 months before the date of admission. Um, And I think this is something that can sometimes throw schools because sometimes it feels so far in advance that it's it can be a bit hard to get your head around. Um, And it can also make it difficult to plan um, because it can be very difficult. Um, to know um, what your pupil numbers might look in 18 months time, because a lot can change. You might have a free school that opens up on your doorstep in the meantime, or you know there might be a whole n- number of factors that might affect admissions uh, from one year to the next. Um, so for the, the consultation window that's opening um, on the 1st of October 2020, Um, you're going to be consulting on your admissions arrangements for admission in September 2022. So that's for the academic year 2022 to 23. Um, And we find that sometimes because of the the big gap that sometimes explains why some schools need to look at maybe varying their admissions arrangements if in that, that time period there's been a major change in circumstances. Um, and that's something that Stephanie's going to talk to you in a bit more detail about later on. And who is responsible for determining the admissions arrangements? Um, that's the admissions authority. Um, and I've just set out on this slide who the admissions authorities are um, for depending what type of school you are. This table's available in the admissions code, so um, I won't dwell on that in too much detail. Um, but what I did want to flag up is about multi academy trusts. Um, because um, this can sometimes cause some confusion um, about who's actually responsible for, if you like, dealing with and and ultimately deciding um, admissions arrangements for academies within a multi-academy trust. Um, The starting point is that the trust board is responsible for for determining admissions arrangements for the academies within its own trust. Um, Often, but not always, responsibility is delegated to the individual academies, or in reality the local governing body or academy council or whatever you might call your local layer of governance in the scheme of delegation um, but as i say that is not always the case and so it's really really important that you check your scheme of de- delegation um, whether you're someone coming to this as you know from trust board level or from academy level you need to make sure that you're clear about what does your scheme of delegation say And is your scheme clear? Does it cover admissions? Um, Is it clear about what the role is? Is it maybe for the trust board to make the decisions but consult your local um, governance body or advisory body? Um, There's no rules that are set in stone. Um, The main point is that you've got that clarity. Um, about who's doing what. Um, And it might well be that you've got other maybe decision planners, that sort of thing, that all need to be consistent about who's responsible for what when you're dealing with admissions. Um, If you're uh, part of a multi-academy trust, it's really important to ensure that that the academies within your trust understand how how admissions will be dealt with as part of your trust. Um, In our experience, it's not uncommon to find that after conversion, especially if maybe you're a fairly new multi-academy trust, um, there's lots of other priorities. Um, and so admissions isn't often high up there in terms of, you know, looking at it and maybe taking a strategic approach. Um, but we sometimes find that maybe a year or two later, um, there's that time to look back and, and, and review, admissions across the trust, maybe with a view to seeing if there's some sort of um, approach that can be taken um, in terms of um, feeder schools and that sort of thing. Um, Although you would need to make sure that any such approach meets the requirements of the admissions code, um, which I'll come on to in a minute. Um, Admissions arrangements must be fair, clear, objective, and easy for parents to understand how places will be allocated. Um, So I would normally say if you find that you have to go and make yourself a strong coffee before you can face having a look at your own school's admissions arrangements, then it might be time to think about whether they're as clear as they can be and easy for parents to understand if their child will get a place or not. Um, The fairness point is really, really important. And um, going back to the point I just made about a multi-academy trust, for example, um, although in principle a multi academy trust can have a uh, an academy, um, so you could have a secondary school name um, a an academy primary school as a feeder school. Um, in principle, that's fine, but it still needs to meet the requirements of fairness. Um, And that will depend on your local circumstances um, and whether maybe it's the the effect of that is unfair on other children uh, in the locality if they are struggling to get a school place. Um, It can be quite complicated um, and so I think as part of you know you getting a feel for whether something you're proposing to do is fair or not the consultation process is actually a really important way of gauging, you know, whether there are any particular issues of fairness that, that might come to light following your consultation. Um, so, I'm just conscious about time, so I'll, I won't dwell on this too for too long, but I just wanted to flag up about the need to have a published admissions number. Um, and that's the pan uh, for entry points. So that's reception, year three, year seven, and year 12, uh, typically. Um, This is not the same as the planned capacity number. Um, The planned capacity number is a number that's uh, devised um, with, you know, applying various difficult formulas to work out how many children your school could accommodate. Um, But that's not necessarily the same as your Well, it's not the same as your published admissions number. There there might be a correlation between the two, um, but it's important to appreciate that your PAN is separate. Um, It's also worth mentioning that the PAN should be a whole number. Um, And the reason I say that is because my son recently started at reception. And when we asked him how many children there were in his class, he said 14 and a half. Um, Now, I suspect there was a bit of jackanory going on there, but it just made me think it's, well, probably worth mentioning that um, it's meant to be a whole number. Um, If you have places, you must offer um, a place to anyone that applies to your school in the normal admissions admissions round. Um, And you must also have an oversubscription criteria to allocate places if you are oversubscribed. Even if you're a school that maybe has never been oversubscribed, you need to have one. Faith schools must also have regard to any guidance from your relevant religious body, um, and that's a really important point to to take into account. Um, there's so many things we can talk about uh, from an admissions point of view, but I thought actually for this session, I really wanted to just highlight a few points about sixth forms um, because Historically, they have been a bit of an Achilles heel for for many schools. Um, So just really to run through some of the key points, um, sixth forms need to have a pan for your external candidates. So um, your um, if for argument's sake, you can accommodate 200 pupils in your year 12. um, And let's say for argument's sake, you've got 180 in year 11. Even though maybe every year they won't all transfer to your sixth form because some of them will go off and do different things, it's safest to assume that all 180 might well apply to your sixth form and get a place, um, which would mean that in those circumstances you could set your plan for external candidates of 20, because you would have 20 places left if you could actually accommodate 200 pupils. Um, if in reality you find that only 150 have um, you know, moved on to your sixth form, 150 of your year 11 pupils, um, so you could admit the extra 30 pupils over your pan of 20 uh, in terms of your external candidates. Um, but it would just avoid you being in a position, maybe if you get a, a freak year where Maybe you've got more year 11s than normal that are going to want to go to your sixth form and then you're in a position where you can't uh, accommodate the external number of candidates set out in your pan. And so that's something that can cause a bit of confusion. Um, sixth forms can set academic entry criteria, which, ne- which needs to be the same for your external and internal candidates. Um, You must give highest priority to all looked after and previously looked after applicants, um, subject to the provisions relating to schools with a religious character. You still need to have an oversubscription criteria for your sixth form, which is fair, clear and objective. And that's, again, another area that we often see um, sixth forms without that sort of oversubscription criteria. You still do need one. Um, You can adopt a sliding scale to rank applicants to give higher priority to those with better GCSE results if you choose to do that, Um, but obviously tread carefully and make sure it's still um, compliant with the admissions code as well. Decisions about courses pupils can do having been offered a place is actually a matter for senior management. So that's not something the adjudicator will get involved in, in terms of whether someone's doing a psychology, A-level or English. And um, that's a matter for the school internally to manage. And if you're dealing with um, complaints or resistance about that, it's best to deal with it under your complaints policy. Um, and finally, you can have a meeting to discuss courses and entry requirements. But that can't be used as the basis for deciding whether to admit someone. Um, so you need to be very clear that any meetings are just a, a general discussion, and there's no sense that um, that meeting is being used to assess whether someone is um, able to join your sick form. Um, so um, I'm now going to hand over to Tracy, who's going to talk to you in a little bit more detail about the consultation process um, and what that entails. So. Um,
0: over to you, Tracy. Thank you, Theresa, and good morning to everybody. Um, this is all a bit um, odd for us, be, not being able to see you all, but I know from the list of attendees that there are some old friends out there. Um, you know who you are, so hello to you. Um, right, how to consult on admission arrangements. Um, whenever you propose any changes to your admission arrangements, you must consult on those admission arrangements. Um, and there's also a duty to consult once every seven years if you haven't had to consult within the the, um, six previous years at all, because your admission arrangements have stayed exactly the same. The only exception to the requirement to consult is if if you merely want to increase your published admission number, um, and there, in those circumstances, all you need to do is notify the local authority and, put reference to your published admission number on the school's website. The um, Consultation must last for a minimum of six weeks, and it must take place between the 1st of October and the 31st of January in the determination year. In reality, this gives something like a 17 week window. Um, and I have known schools where they've started the consultation process. Um, something's been thrown up or they've rethought, something's come to light. They've stopped one consultation and started a completely new consultation, but they're still within that statutory time frame. so there've been absolutely no problems with continuing with that. Um, so, turning up, um, to who must be consulted, um, you'll all be aware that paragraph um, 1.44 of the admissions code sets out a comprehensive list of who admission authorities must consult, and that's an absolute regu- regulatory requirement. Um, I think probably the most difficult p- p- Parents, and it's a real catch all, is those of children aged between the ages of two and 18. I mean, that really is a catch all category and will cover practically everybody. Um, I, any adjoining local authorities, where the admission authority is the local authority, and this can sometimes get particularly challenging, where um, local authorities join numerous local authorities if they're the admission authority. Um, I worked for the London Borough of Bexley, um, sorry, Bromley at one point, we had to consult with six other admission authorities whenever one of our um, community schools wanted to change their admission um, arrangements. So just to be really aware of that, because if you would join a neighboring local authority, then there's that obligation to consult with them. And of course, in the case of schools with designated religious character, they must consult with the, um, the their religious body um, and sometimes um, and I think this can sort of be almost a last minute consideration. Um, and we've seen um, decisions from the OSA where they clearly haven't consulted with the religious body at the relevant time. So um, what what's um, effective consultation? Well, ensure that there's a complete copy of your consultation document, and as trees has already mentioned, any supplementary information form on the school website for the duration of the consultation period, your consultation document should also include a rationale for why you want to make the proposed changes, because if there are any objections to it, if you set out in, in, a, in a document why you are considering making these changes, that will... Um, hopefully dissipate some of the objections that you get and answer those objections questions. Ensure that all the contact details of the person to whom the response should be sent are correctly um, published in both the document and on the website. It's easy to get this wrong just by a slip of a finger on a keyboard. It's so easy to do and I expect we've all done it um, when we've been um, sending emails to people that we regularly send them to and just one letter and you get a bounce back and you think what's happened here so um please just make sure you've got absolutely the correct um documentation as the responses come in i suggest that you collate them and you um put them into a spreadsheet so that you can see what's coming in with the name date time if um because all this information can be useful at a later date, challenging if you're challenged about not carrying out a proper consultation. And one thing to make sure, um, make sure that you've got hard copies of all your documentation available. Um, There are some people who um, still would like hard copy um, documentation, although of course we're all so much um, focused on the digital, age and digital society at the moment. But just make sure you have got those hard copies available if you do get a request for one from anybody who um, is entitled to be consulted. And broadly, that's basically everybody. Um, So looking at the questions that you need to consider um, for your consultation, well, how are you going to do it? And where are you going to publish the consultation? Um, I think it's clear from recent OSA um, decisions that the school website is never going to be enough. You've got to reach all those consultees and there cannot be a presumption that just putting something on a website um, will will effectively meet that requirement. so um, we've come up with some publication suggestions um, that this is taken from the code um, and we, we have our own as well, but the list is not exhaustive exhaustive you may also want to consider putting something in local libraries, I know it used to be very popular. Um, five, 10 years ago that any consultation documents were put in the local library. But I think um, particularly when you're reaching those um, parents of preschool children, there are so many activities that take place in local libraries and local community halls for those toddler groups, that it's something that as primary schools, you may want to consider. Um, Having um, also close links with your local nurseries, if they are nurseries, that um, typically provide you with um, reception age children, um, asking them to put some put some leaflets, perhaps in their reception area, flagging up with their parents that um, this is happening, and perhaps even holding a consultation meeting at the nursery. I know at the moment we're particularly restricted due to COVID, but maybe having those kind of things and at the moment with covid perhaps um putting some um web not, not not like a webinar but a make a video about the consultation and putting it on your school website so that parents can be directed to it um so just just thinking outside the box and how you're going to meet um Meet all those consultation requirements and show that you have consulted as fully and as widely as you are required to. Um, This is probably one of the most important um, tips I can give you. Um, Keep records of all your consultation activity. Keep copies of absolutely everything. Letters, emails, postals, social media, local media articles. And, and although this may sound rather bizarre, a screenshot of your web page and the responses, because um, we have known cases where the website's been updated um, and you could lose the evidence that of what was on your website at a particular time if you don't record it. Um, Because if someone lodges an objection with the adjudicator, they will request evidence to prove that your consultation met all the statutory requirements, and they will ask to see hard copies of all these things. So, um, as I say, keep those records. Um, Turning to um, the next um, Thing that i want to cover is the df there's currently a dfe consultation out on changes to the admissions code um this kind of snuck out i think in the middle of everything that was going on around covid at the time and all the guidance that was coming out about reopening schools and getting schools safe and um a changes to the exclusions, um, timeframes and things like this. So the consultation actually formally opened on the 26th of June and closes on the 16th of October. Um, The DFE are concerned that the most vulnerable children's needs are not being met. And so what the code seeks to clarify and improve the process in which children are admitted to school outside the normal admissions rounds, there have been numerous government reviews, notably the child in need review, which flagged this up as a major concern. Um, The code, um, the DfE say, will also provide additional information and details that will support the admissions authorities in changing their duties. Um, but those, these, all the proposed changes are primarily intended to support the most vulnerable children. So there are four main areas, um, in-year admissions, um, fair access protocols, um, children adopted from state care outside of England, and the admission of service children and children of Crown servants. Um, if we look at each one in turn, but very briefly, and I do urge you to read the consultation document, There's going to be a dedicated section in the code on in-year admissions, um, but one of the things that it's going to do is require, um, what they're consulting on is requiring local authorities to publish information on their website by the 31st of August each year on how in-year applications can be made and how they will be dealt with. Um, To enable local authorities to do that, there's um, a requirement on schools To um, who are own admission authorities to inform the local authority by the 1st of August, if they intend to be part of the local authorities in-year coordination scheme or whether they're going to do it themselves. Um, If an an own admission authority is going to do their own in-year admissions, then they must set out on their websites by the 31st of August each year, how the in-year applications will be handled. Um, There's also a proposal that that schools have to notify the local authority um, within two school days of receipt for request for information about whether they've got places available um, on an in-year basis. And once parents have made an application, the the proposal is that they will be notified of the outcome of their in-year application in writing within 10 school days. And... Also, um, giving them the right of appeal. So it's just to speed everything up. Um, turning to fair access protocols, um, the um, code wants to, um, to make it clear that the fair access protocol is an agreement between the local authority and all admission authorities in the area, and that all schools must participate in it. Um, and that includes having a representative who attends fair access protocol meetings, who is who is a decision maker, and is able to make the decisions there and then. What the DFE is really conscious of of parents of, of schools sending somebody to the fair access protocol meetings, who then has to go back to the school to discuss it with the head or even the um, trust board or governors to decide whether they're going to admit this child a child under the Fair Access Protocol and the DfE said this cannot go on, it's a delaying tactic. Um, The person who attends has to be able to make the decisions. Um, It's it's all about speeding everything up um, and um, they're going to include the um, category of vulnerable children um, to children who are in need or on a child protection plan and children living in a refuge or emergency accommodation at the point the referral's being made. So it's really looking at that group of very needy children um, and making decisions quickly for them. Um, And just one further thing that I think is quite significant, um, the proposal is that they will provide a definition of what they mean by challenging behaviour they intend it to be a very high threshold. Because I think um, we have seen certainly, and I've seen um, in the sort of previous existence, schools who have challenged um, things through the fair access protocol and relied on challenging behavior. And um, when one has gone back to it, there's all, um, the, the threshold perhaps hasn't been met in the way that the um, certainly the ESA, if you go on to appeal any decision would expect. So the DfE have now said, um, we're going to put in a definition of what we mean by challenging behavior, but obviously this is all up for consultation at the moment so I'd urge you to read the consultation document and respond to it. And finally, just within that. um, Children adopted from state care—they're going to be included. Proposal is that they're included in the same way as children adopted in this country, so they they get priority um, within the admissions um, arrangements because they are will be counted as previously looked after children. Um, They the DFE say they're going to publish non-statutory advice to help admission authorities implement the changes. including further advice on how to determine eligibility and um, very finally <laughs> the children from service, um, service families and children of crown servants um, and really the um, proposals are there about the evidence that you, you, that is required to be um, produced to schools to show the address. So it won't just be um, a service a service unit address or where the where the parent is going to be stationed. it will be it will include where the child is actually living because of course in some cases parents are posted to a to a specific service unit. But the family have a family home somewhere quite differently and that is something that's going to have to be taken into account. I'm sorry that's a real scuttle through that consultation document but I think it is important that you're made aware of it and that you do all respond to it. Thank you and over to Stephanie
2: who's going to talk to you about um, post consultation requirements. Thank you Tracy. Hi everyone, hope you're all well. Um, in this part of the webinar, I'll be discussing the post-consultation process and also just giving a few helpful tips along the way, just to consider. Um, I appreciate the time is ticking, so I'll try and be as concise as possible without being too fast. Um, so, firstly, just as a practical point, um, until the end of the six-week admissions consultation period, you're going to, you're possibly going to receive um, a little responses, and we found that from client experience that many questions that stakeholders um, posed could be answered from a an FAQ document quite efficiently and you can refer back to this document and it's quite often prevents an influx of queries so just to consider that as a when you're doing your consultation just to pop that forward um once the consultation period has um ended any responses received um must be considered and this consideration process must be documented as Tracy mentioned and um a, a, a way that you can sufficiently evidence this consideration process um, is by completing a report to demonstrate um, all the considerations that you've had um, from the responses, identifying issues and detailing your position in respect to those issues. Um, this will assist with the decision-making process that you can refer back to it at the end and also to support your position if you're faced with any challenge later on. Um, as you'll see on my slide, when reviewing the responses, focus should be on the complex responses as well as concerns raised in respect of procedure, fairness, or lawfulness. So any compliance with um, admission legislation, sorry, or the code. Um, All other responses should be fairly straightforward. And as mentioned just now, you can refer back to consultation documents when um, responding. So your FAQ document, for example, quite often the respondents can put the similar questions to the school so it's, it's quite a useful way of dealing with them. Um, a key requirement for um, consultation is fairness as, as Teresa mentioned there is a duty on public bodies to act fairly when exercising their functions and most uh, many challenges to the consultation process. Um, a key question that is look, is considered is what would be fair in the circumstances of this case um, so just bear that in mind whenever you're reviewing the responses that are coming in and um, and as you'll see from this slide i've put an extract there from an osa annual report uh, which i think is a quite a helpful guide uh the requirements of fairness are heavily dependent on context though you need to bear that in mind and this report um although i appreciate is not the osa decisions are not precedent they're set precedent they are binding and they can provide helpful guidance um this this potential this uh, particular report uh, does highlight the key parts of fairness that are considered in a, very, a number of cases um, which are basically that the fairness should include consideration as to whether the arrangements are based on reasonable grounds and um, whether the effect is reasonable and fair and whether there was a group of children who would be unfairly disadvantaged the key um, word here being unfairly. So that's also important just to mention. Um, Moving on to determination. Um, Once the school has considered the responses and has made a decision, it must determine its admission arrangements. Um, All admission authorities must determine admission arrangements every year by the 28th of February in the determination year. So even if the arrangements have not been consulted on, and will not be changing from the previous year so you still need to determine those arrangements and this decision must be accurately and clearly recorded in the relevant meeting minutes um, and the appropriate bodies notifi- notified of the determination um, there's a list in the code that you can refer to in respect to the appropriate bodies so that's um, there for you um, it would also be good practice to append a copy of the determined arrangements to the meeting minutes so that they are easily accessible um in case you are being challenged but recording the determination process is really important i know tracy mentioned earlier that you know recording the consultation process is really important as well just make sure you're recording all of your um considerations and your your decisions in all the the relevant meeting minutes or reports just so that if you are challenged later on you can refer to those documents um, as evidence to demonstrate your compliance um, otherwise, it can be quite difficult um, to support your position. Uh, in respect of who determines the arrangements, as Teresa mentioned earlier, if you're a multi academy trust, please check back with your scheme to your scheme of delegation. Um, it could be with the response, it could be the responsibility of the trust board, or it could be with a, a, a local governing body or committee. If arrangements are dealt with locally, you should consider whether this is the um, best arrangement moving forward. Um, because it can, approach can differ from school to school and it just depends on what you would like collectively as I trust if that's if that's how you want, want to deal with it. Um, following the determination, a copy of the admission arrangements must be sent to the local authority before the 15th of March in the determination year. A copy must be clearly and accurately published online and they should also be easily accessible. And if applicable, a copy must be sent to the school's religious denomination representative. Um, Just going back on the the, um, local authority deadline there, um, it is interesting to note from the OSA annual report 2018 to 2019, it it records there that in the year 2017, um, out of 152 local authorities, only 19 reported that all other admission authorities in the area provided their arrangements to them by the deadline this number reportedly rose to 25 in the following year. Um, it's really important to comply with this time frame, and schools are criticized by the USA for not doing so. So just really try to, to make sure that you are complying with that timeframe because there have been cases where adjudicators have decided not and um, to just not determine the um, that the school is not determined it's the written arrangements again extreme case but, but please just bear in mind that those timeframes are there for a reason. And you need to demonstrate compliance um, once determination has been effected, objections made um, can be made to the uh, school adjudicator up to the 15th of May in that determination year. Um, so moving on to variations. Um, Thank you Teresa. Um, So once determined, the admission arrangements cannot be amended unless necessary to give effect to a mandatory requirement of the code, admissions law, um, a determination of the adjudicator or a misprint in the arrangements. Um, Admission authorities may however propose variations when a change is necessary in view of a major change in circumstance. Variation proposals must be referred to the school's adjudicator for approval um, or for academies to the Secretary of State by the ESFA, um, and the appropriate bodies must also be notified. So the local authority, all admission um, authorities in the area, and um, the if, if a religious uh, if a school with a religious character um, designation, the religious denomination representative as well. Uh, where the local authority is the admission authority, it must consult the governing body at the school before making the referral that's just important to know. Um, In respect of what constitutes a major change of circumstance, this depends on the circumstances of each case and it's difficult to give you an an answer to this. Um, But it may, for example, be if there was a flood or a fire um, and there's been a significant impact on plans to accommodate planned student numbers. um, You would need to put forward a business case to justify your position. It's not guaranteed that the variation will be approved um it's a difficult test to satisfy it's got a high threshold and you require strong grounds um, to justify your lack of consultation because as i said earlier on consultation is really important to demonstrate fairness and um, transparency um, it would also be helpful if the local authority and or the regional schools commission commissioner are supportive of your application so it's worth having those conversations beforehand um if a selective school is considering an in-year variation such as, for example, changing an application deadline or assessment date um, as a result of a major change in circumstances that we've, seen, um, we've seen recently. A variation proposal would also be required. Um, for those schools with a religious denomination looking to make variations, please speak with your religious denomination representative before proceeding. Um, in relation to variations, as a result of the impact on worship due to COVID-19, Um, The National Society and the Catholic Education Service have both issued guidance to the Church of England and Catholic schools um, respectively. Um, So please do refer to that before um, making a decision as to how you proceed. Once varied, admission authorities must display a copy of their full varied admission arrangements on their website, keeping the arrangements up to date, clear and easily accessible at all times. It's really important. Uh, I just want to also, um, move. So, moving on to the next slide, um, I wanted to finish with um, the very very reducing PAN. Um, I see that a few of you have put some questions in there, so hopefully this will um, answer those questions, but if not, please do let us know and we'll come back to you to be a bit more specific if there's any particular situations. Um, But this uh, extract is from a recent school adjudicator decision, uh, I would say decision. Um, where a school wanted to reduce pan in this particular case um, the, the the variation the reduction was um, permitted um, on the basis that there was sufficient evidence to demonstrate adequate places in the area um, and the demand for the school would be met by the reduced pan. Um, so when you're reducing pan schools must consult um, with the cons- uh, in accordance with the code and the consultation process set out within. Um, but if there is a major change of circumstances, and the reduction is required as soon as possible, the school could look to vary the admission arrangements for the interim period and then consult for the subsequent determination year. Um, in the case that um, it's displayed on the screen, um, in these circumstances, the local authority was in favour of the reduction and there was a financial impact to consider the local authority also confirmed that it would be consulting for the following admissions round for, for, for a PAN reduction. So again, it's very case dependent. You need to um, put a strong um, business case for a variation and a major change of circumstance, but it is possible. But, um, as I said, you do need to consult to reduce PAN, um, but if, it is, if there is a major change of circumstance, there is a potential that you could um, put a proposal for, an, uh, for a variation um, and then consult later on but please do not consult and put a proposal in for the same year. There's no need to do that and it might just confuse matters. Um, unlike for a reducing PAN, to increase PAN, a referral is not required, um, but the local authority must be notified of the change and a notice put up on the school website. Again, admission arrangements must be clear and always kept up to date and easily accessible. Um, I hope... Um, That answers the question about the reduction of PAM, but please do let us know if you have any further questions on that. Um, that concludes the post consultation segment. Um, We've set out on the next slide, how we can help you with your admission arrangements. Please do get in touch um, if you have any questions. Um, It's a shame I can't see all your lovely faces, but I hope that you found this section helpful. Um, And I'll pass back to Teresa. Thank you all very much for your time.
1: Lovely. Thanks very much, Stephanie. Um, So yes, absolutely. Uh, We can help with, you know, reviewing admissions arrangements, giving them a sense check, Um, you know, if you're given a hard time during consultation, we can help you with that as well. Or um, maybe if you're dealing with correspondence with the school's adjudicator, you know, please do let us know. Sometimes it's just having that someone objective looking at maybe what you've drafted um, can can make all the difference. So um, please do get in touch um so any questions so we've got five minutes to spare so what i'm going to do because i can't actually see the questions at the moment i'm going to stop sharing my screen um if i can work out how to do that stop sharing here we go so um we've got maybe a few minutes to pick up a couple of questions so i don't know tracy if you've had a chance or seth to um to uh look at them whilst i've not had access but i let me see
0: yeah, um, I just pick up the question from Debbie, and she says, "Is there a requirement to offer consultation documentation opportunities in languages other than English or in accessible forms?" Is the school is asked? I would say yes. Um, if if you've got a large community where you know that um, most of the local community speak um a diff- another language other than English, or t- certainly um, making it in accessible format um, for. Um, people who who um perhaps are blind so in braille format we've had requests for that before it is part of your equality act duties to make reasonable adjustments so um yes there there is that there's that separate um, duty to make to make it as accessible as you possibly can to your local community so i hope that answers that question
1: okay um I've um, seen a couple of questions there um, so uh, and just to clarify um, I mentioned about having a plan for year three um, so if you're a primary school um, you would only need your, a plan for reception uh, because that's your uh, relevant year of entry um, you would only need a plan for year three if you are um, a junior school um and you're accepting pupils in at year three perhaps they're transferring across um but still need to go through the admissions process if you've got a separate infant school and then the the children tend to go to a neighboring junior school so that's where you would have a pan for year three if you're a normal primary school from reception to year six you don't need a a pan uh, for year three just for reception so hopefully that's answered that one um In terms of the consultation period so if a school has had to close some or all of their their school due to covid does this impact on the consultation window Uh, a very good and topical question um i mean i think my first point on that would be um do keep an eye out to see if the department of education happens to issue any specific guidance covering that that point you know because it's bound to be an issue as we see, you know, local lockdowns and, and various other issues um, relating to, to COVID. Um, so do keep a watching brief to see if the department issues specific guidance on that. Um, I mean, if you were to put me on the spot, I would say um, I can't see how just because the school has to close because of COVID, it would necessarily impact on the consultation. Um, But I would encourage you to make sure that people remain aware that the consultation remains live, that they're still encouraged and reminded to to submit um, responses, comments, objections as they wish. Um, Because, I mean, I think the thing is, obviously, even if the school is closed, yeah, the expectation is you're moving to some sort of remote learning format with with children accessing education as best as they can from home. Um, so I would say it which shouldn't affect the consultation window but just make sure parents are aware that just because you're not open in a physical sense um, that they, they the, the consultation remains live and uh, so hopefully that's that one I don't know, have you got something to add Tracy
0: No, no, sorry. I was going to pick up another question. Um, There's a a question about priority for children of school staff um, and um, the um, questioner says we've been advised by our LEA admissions team that it's not possible to have an option for any member of staff in the trust, including the central team, to have priority of their children to join any schools within the trust. That is correct. If you look at the admissions code, the admissions code said that their priority for members of staff when they have been employed at the school for a period of two years, or that they have, um, they've been employed to to, um, fill a skills um, shortage position. So um, this particular theory in secondary schools applies to physics and maths teachers. But um, there was a recent OSA decision where they where it was a multi academy trust and they were very, the OSA decision was very clear that members of the central team do not have prior, cannot and do not have priority in terms of school admissions. So unfortunately, um, the advice that your LEA has given you is absolutely correct
1: yeah that we've found that that's a bit of a recurring issue over the mm-hmm. years actually in terms of um uh, it has to be staff at the school uh, and that's something we've been asked uh, in terms of can it be um you know another school in the multi-academy trust and again that's something the adjudicator has been quite clear on i mean what we've been waiting to see perhaps is whether at some point in the future the admissions code will maybe be updated to reflect the way that multi-academy trusts work and you know obviously in terms of one policy with multi-academy trust with this um, idea of collaboration and you know ethos and family of schools but I'm not sure that the admissions code quite reflects that yet there's just not quite that flexibility and certainly that's not reflected in the determinations from the uh, adjudicator because they're applying the code and, and admissions law as it stands so um, I mean certainly I've not heard any murmuring as yet that there's an intention and obviously we've got a consultation live at the moment and these sorts of issues aren't being picked up so for for the moment it's a case of um going with the the code as it stands um so i'm conscious it's 12 o'clock now um i'm also conscious we haven't answered all the questions but we will look at them and and some of them i think are probably ones that we'd want to just spend a little bit more time thinking about and it might be that we come back to you directly and give you an answer maybe discuss it in a bit more detail Um, So for now, thank you very very much for joining us. Um, We do have a programme of events coming up um, in the autumn. Uh, We've got our SEN clinic, a drop-in session on the 7th of October. Um, We've got a GDPR session coming up in November. And we're planning to run a a mini series on the Equality Act, focusing on HR and non-HR issues coming up towards the end of November, December time. Um, So keep an eye out for that. To our
0: listeners, thank you for listening. As always, we are available via email, LinkedIn, or Twitter. You can reach us at marketing at wslaw.co.uk or message us on our social media channels. The handle is at wslaw. And let us know what would you like to hear more about. Until next time, keep safe.